I'm Melissa Carter. And I'm Jen Hobby. The Frenzy is here to change the conversation around age so that you can celebrate all your years rather than lie about them. We celebrate real stories by real women so that you too will share your story. I'm Melissa and I was sophomore class president, junior class vice president, and senior class president. Thank you very much. Well, hey, <laughs> Madam President. <laughs> I'm Jen Hobby and I am a burrito enthusiast. Mm. I could eat a burrito for every meal, every day of the week and not complain, not one time. I really well, consider it the perfect food. Can I ask, is there a certain place that you like to get your burritos or do you like to make them yourself? All of the above. Okay. I like them at every place <laughs> I've ever ordered them. I like them when I make them at home. Okay. I like them vegetarian. I like them carnivore. I, I like them for breakfast. I like them for lunch. I okay. like them for dinner. <laughs> All right. I don't think I knew that about you. All right. I burrito mama. sound like a burrito Dr. Seuss right there. <laughs> I'll eat them with ham. I'll eat them with. <laughs> All right, coming up on today's episode, you're going to hear the extraordinary story of a wildly successful businesswoman who climbed to the top of her industry using what she calls an ownership mentality. You'll learn what that means and how to apply it to your own life. Our featured guest is Kat Cole, who is an investor, advisor, author, former COO, and president of Focus Brands in North America. She's also a mom of two small children. And this conversation with Kat will inspire you to think about humility, curiosity, helpfulness, and hard work, and why that matters in both your work and your personal life. Plus, Melissa has your mirror mantra, and that's going to get you thinking about ownership mentality all week long. So have you subscribed to the Frenzy podcast yet? Because I mean, if you're excited about what we are going to offer you today, just think about what we've done in the past and it's also free. So there's a reason to subscribe. You won't miss an episode. Uh, and if you have subscribed, we thank you very much. If you have subscribed also, could you share the news and tell a friend about the Frenzy? We would appreciate it very much. We want more women to hear these real stories connecting real women. So before we get to all that, Jen, how does ownership mentality resonate with Burrito Mama? <laughs> burrito enthusiast. Well, I'm sorry, burrito enthusiast. <laughs> well, here's where ownership mentality really resonates with me is about taking responsibility for our own lives. And that manifests itself in a couple of different ways. So to me, when you have that mentality about life, first, you're not a complainer. And I think too often in life, people lead with a complaint. We get addicted to complaining about things. You know, it's like, oh, how are you? And you don't want to be like, everything's great all the time. But you also don't want to always answer that with a complaint or a negative. So ownership mentality means even if things aren't going great in your life, they're your life and you're going to own them. You're going to take responsibility for them. You're going to accept them. And so that's the first way that it manifests for me is in not being a complainer. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's also about pride in what you do, right? So pride in your home and pride in your life and pride in your career, because when you have that ownership mentality, it's all yours. Does that make sense? Well, it makes sense to me because as the far youngest of my family, I will say that the benefit to that experience was I could not wait to be an adult because I had mm. four grown people 
kind of at me all the time about things. Mm -hmm. and, and again, my family wasn't, they weren't overly critical, but it was just, I got a lot of opinions even when they weren't solicited. And so I could not wait to be an adult. And I think that we forget about being teenagers, especially, and just wanting to be able to have our own life and make our own decisions and do all, you yeah. know, and then when you get to be an adult, then all of a sudden, for some reason, you don't want it. It's like, I have never lost that appreciation for being able to make my own decisions. Honestly. Right. Yeah. Well, that ownership mentality, I feel like we learned a great example of that from one of our leaders in radio, who you and I both worked for. His name is Mark Rainier. Yeah. And I feel like he was such a great leader and had that ownership mentality about everything. He wasn't above answering the phone at the front desk. Right. He was never above picking up a piece of trash that somebody accidentally dropped on the ground. He he just exuded that mentality about everything he did at the radio stations that we worked for. And I remember that in so many different small ways that he showed me about that ownership mentality. And I'll never forget that. The one thing I think with ownership too, is that it's not about control, right? If you mm -hmm. think ownership mentality, like, oh, I have to be in control of everything. That's not necessarily it. To me, ownership mentality is about really acceptance and confidence of the circumstances in your life. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, so I was also thinking of another radio story. Uh -huh. So Melissa Carter, what is the number yes. one question we always got asked when we were working in morning drive radio? Usually it was either what time did we get up or what, what? celebrity. Okay. The what time we got up. Cause I said, what, yes. what's the best or what's the, the something about celebrities. Yeah. What time do you get up? Yeah. What time do you get up? And what was the answer to that? Uh, three 30 for me. Yep. Three 30 or three 45 was always my answer to that. Yeah. Um, and the number two question, AM, AM people, AM, every night. Yeah. single day. Yes. <laughs> um, and the number two question that I always got when I worked in radio is, do you go to work in your pajamas? Oh, I never got that question. That's so funny. Everybody would always Jen, ask me. Did, did you? Well, I, I know the answer, though, because I was there when you showed up. So the answer is always no. And this to me oh. came back to ownership mentality is yeah. that I always wanted to present myself in a way that I was ready for the day, that I, I was owning the fact that this was my schedule wasn't complaining about it. I wasn't whining about being tired all day long. Uh, I was, you know, it was one of those things where you go, okay, I have to own this position in life, this lot in life, if you will. Mm -hmm. And say, I get up early, but that means I still got to put on an outfit and be dressed and be ready for the day. So to me, that's how it manifested in my life. Well, it's funny you say that because I think that I had the same feeling during the pandemic. So mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, when the pandemic started now, I've probably, you know, it's, it's probably uh, dwindled a little bit as it's gone on. But at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought, even though I'm working from home, I'm still going to present myself and get dressed for work. And, and now, like I said, it dwindled into yoga pants and sweatpants, but still the top from the waist up. Waist up, you look great. You're I ready. Still, yes, I was ready. <laughs> and yes, part of that was, you know, you're kind of called to task if you have to be part of Zoom meetings and people actually see you. But I do think there, to me, was a mentality because like you said, with morning radio, when I was working behind the scenes off mic, um, I wore ball caps, didn't put on makeup or, you know, zip up hoodies or jeans all, all the time. 
And when I was on the mic and I was part of the show, mm-hmm. I changed the way I dressed because like you said, there's a different mentality to it. And I thought, you know what? There was also part of that. I should have done that with the other job. Mm-hmm. And I could tell mm-hmm. a difference in the way I dress based on how I felt. And so I do think that there, yes, there's something you can do for yourself, even if the surroundings aren't ideal for you. Like you said, you still take ownership because you chose to be there. That I think that's something that people don't realize is they choose every everything that they're a part of. I told my son we had a rough day yesterday. My son and I mm-hmm. we had some we had some issues with some, and I told him I said I choose to take care of you. I am your mother, but I choose to take care of you and do the things I do for you, and you choose the things that you do. So I was trying to expose him to that mentality. Yes, at six years old because it's like yes, I'm your mother, but you can't take me for granted because mm-hmm. I can always choose not to do what I'm doing, and you can always choose not to do what you're doing. And so um, I think a lot of people lose sight of the fact that they have more control. You know, not to use it in the term that, like you said, don't don't try to be in control of everything, but they do have a choice and they do have ownership and everything they're a part of, whether they realize it or not. And it's that acceptance of it, even if it's a bad circumstance or a good circumstance, if you accept it, you own it, then you can feel confidence through that. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. And so I thought of this, something that a wise woman named Melissa Carter told me during the (laughs) pandemic (laughs) was, do you remember when we were having this conversation and you said, whatever you're stuck at home with right now, you chose, you created this life for yourself. So remember that. And to me, that's about ownership mentality, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I told Jen that because you can't complain in the pandemic about the state of your house, the state of your marriage, the state of your children, because this is your doing. This Mm -hmm. is your, this is, and now I thought the pandemic was a great snapshot for every individual to see what the world they created looked like. And if you don't like what it looks like, then you can make the choices to change it. Yeah. So that's true. I mean, it's nobody else's fault. It's nobody else's fault. It's your responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. It's something that it's something that this week I want to remember and apply anytime that I feel that tendency towards whining or complaining. I'm going to come back to complaining mentality. I hate complaining. I hate, I've always hated it. And I got that from my mother, Millie Pete, but I, yeah, it's just, it's like, you know, again, just do what you got to do or leave it yeah, because it's wasting my time is a lack of ownership. It's a lack of mm-hmm. acceptance of what's going on around you. So, and I also want to jump in and say that, you know, going, Going further with the lesson I gave my son, the reason I also wanted to express to Mr. Carter that I had the choice and whether to take care of him or not is because I think as women too, we need to not only when we take ownership of what we're doing, we also are letting other people respect us. Mm-hmm. People, you don't respect anybody that complains. Mm-hmm. But if you take ownership, the world around you will begin to respect you. And I don't, I just don't want my son. And and I'm thinking not only of our relationship moving forward, but his relationship with the women in his life as an adult. It's like people, and I told him, I said, when you're a grown man and there are people there who take care of you, they chose to be there as well. Mm-hmm. And you need to appreciate the fact that they have made the choice to be with you. And so I just want him to respect women and not it not just be a given that a woman is going to be a doormat to him. Mm. Um, and so that was part of part of that lesson, too, is I want to take ownership so that he understands that everybody takes ownership. And so if you're interacting with another person, your actions should also respect their ownership and vice versa. And if that relationship is not a good one, then again, I'm all for dissolve it and move on. 
Absolutely. So right. those are our stories. There's and, my, there's my dramatic, there's my dramatic it. pause. I love it. And I, we want you to think about your story. Can you think about your ownership mentality and how does that apply in your life? And how can you share your own story with another trusted person in your life? So see the frenzy. If you have not subscribed yet, this is a perfect time to subscribe because this is where you can hear the real stories from women in this stage of life. And you're not alone. If you have been worried about these very things or complaint, complained about these very things, don't complain anymore. Uh, but we want to celebrate your stories here. It's all about storytelling. Uh, and Jen, I want to ask you, why, why do you think it's important for listeners to share their own stories? Because we have to identify them first, right? We mm -hmm. have to identify and discover ourselves first in order to tell our stories. And I think that's essential in your relationships in your life, whether that's your relationships with your children, your coworkers, your spouse, your partners. If you can identify your own story and how these different topics and themes and things that come up on the frenzy relate to you and how they take root in your life, and then you can share them with someone else, it brings it all to life and it allows your life to be in full color. You're not in the background, right? Right. You are not a background character. You are not an extra. You are the main character in your life. And it's full of great stories. And we believe you got to start sharing them. So that's why the frenzy is not just about Jen and Melissa's stories. It's we tell our stories so that it will inspire you to think about your own stories. And then we help engage you in telling those stories to other people and take ownership for those stories, right? Yeah. And then be able to not only gain respect for yourself, but have other people gain respect for you as well. You are about to hear an awe-inspiring story, speaking of stories, about how <laughs> our guest, Kat Cole, became COO of a global company at a very young age. And that's coming up in just a minute. But first, let's thank our sponsor. Cancer sucks. And finding out your best friend, your coworker, or your family member has cancer sucks even more. You start to think, what can I do to help? Well, the answer is Kick It Pajamas. Designed by cancer survivors and caretakers, Kick It Pajamas is clothing for those undergoing cancer treatment, either in the hospital or in chemotherapy. Their pajamas and clothing are stylish and comfortable and functional for IV lines and other medical treatment. Go to kickitpajamas.com to stylishly dress your loved one for their battle. With every purchase, a portion of proceeds goes to supporting cancer research and support groups. Kickitpajamas.com and use the discount code FRENZY, F-R-I-E-N-D-Z-Y to get 10% off your order. That's kickitpajamas.com, discount code FRENZY. Let's kick cancer off the planet. Please help us welcome our inspiring new friend, Kat Cole to the Frenzy. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you for our listeners. Kat is an executive, an advisor, an investor, a board director, and speaker. She's the former COO and president of Focus Brands, and she's a mom and a wife, and we cannot wait to hear more about your story. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Of all those things that Jen just listed, what is the thing that is top of your list in your mind? Wife, like hands down, just the, you know, the partnership with my husband, life is so much better, you know, without him, there wouldn't be the kids, which would be number two and yeah, number one, clearly. And you all have a beautiful marriage story too. You have to tell our audience about your marriage story and how quickly all that happened and where you tied the knot. It's so beautiful. Yeah. We met uh, at a entrepreneur's weekend, a group called Breakout that brings socially minded leaders together 
and uh, we had a one night stand. So we thought <laughs> we were both out of long-term relationships. He was out of an eight year relationship. I was out of an 11 year relationship wow. and neither of us were looking. And we thought, oh, this would be fun. Just a great attraction. And within days, it was very clear that it was not going to be limited to that evening. <laughs> and within weeks we were proposing to each other. Aww. Two months after we met, he rode across the Atlantic ocean in a rowboat. Uh, my husband's an endurance athlete, in addition to being a, a venture capitalist here in Atlanta. And when he got back from the row, which took 45 days, we got closer through that experience, not farther apart. And we tattooed our rings uh, in June, I believe, May or June. And then we got married at Burning Man at the end of August that same year. So we were technically bonded through our tattooed rings less than nine months after we met and we were married 10 months after we met Fantastic. so exciting what was different about it because they say when you know you know it is very difficult to put into words i mean the beginning was just that amazing feeling that's like high school of chemistry and wanting to connect with each other non-stop and the music of the weekend becoming this soundtrack that we made on Spotify. You know, there's just a lot of bliss um, and energy around those early days. And, and then what layered on top of that was this realization that we were in a very similar mindset as it related to relationships, both not looking, um, both realizing that we learned a lot from our previous relationship and wanted to be better as a result going forward. And, and within weeks, realizing that we did not want to be with anyone else. I mean, I was 36 or 37, and I had in my mind that I was going to coast into my 40s by having a a lover on every continent and it was going to be this <laughs> fabulous, you know, this fabulous next few years. And uh, so this was quite a diversion from that, that vision, yet it felt so right. And I remember a few weeks in, we were in his apartment in New York and he said, I don't want to see anyone else. It's okay if you do for now, but that's not what I want. And it was just so powerful to hear someone be so clear about what they wanted, yet not demand I be in the same place. And it felt as if it was the longest pause in the world because in my mind, he didn't ask me to reply, but it clearly warranted a reply. And I thought, do I feel the same way? I think I do. How on earth do I feel this way this quickly? And if I say me too, am I limiting what might otherwise be out there. And all of that went through my mind in a few seconds. And then I just replied and said, you know, I don't want to see anyone else either. And that was just two weeks after we met. And when we said that we meant ever. <laughs> yeah. well, so many, well, so many things come to mind when you talk about that. Like you, you mentioned people who were asking for what they want, you know, and mm -hmm. not making demands on you. So that comes from maturity mm -hmm. from having been in relationships before we, before that probably was not the case. Right? right. Um, and, and that's kind of where Jen and I are with this podcast is, you know, it's also about women not giving up on themselves. So if there's mm -hmm. a lot of women who are coming out of those long-term relationships that they mm -hmm. thought they would be in the rest of their life and then it didn't end up that way, it doesn't mean that 
the better lover is not in the future, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think for so many women, a lot of times, if that plan, the, the plan they had in their mind doesn't work, you know, that's where you get impatient, not only with yourself, but with other people and try to control other people at the same time because you're trying to feel safe. Yeah, and that's so, right. Yeah, I love that story too, because it's about you, you, it's not a part of the plan. He was not a part of the plan, mm -hmm. but he's ends up being the number one thing for you. That's right. And I love the, the feeling I had when he shared that sentiment with me was I thought, wow, he's being direct without being directive or directing. And oh, by the way, I didn't know until the morning after our little evening that he was 29. He's seven years younger than me. <laughs> And I mean, literally we woke up and I don't know why I asked. It was like, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> and when he said 29, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I literally put the pillow over my face. And then in my head, I was like, why do I care? Well, I care. That's where we, that's where we see at a girl. And you know, now I just turned 43 uh, and he's now in his mid thirties and it was very clear, despite his young age, to your point, there was a deep maturity mm -hmm. um, that was there to be able to feel that way, to communicate that in such a way. Uh, and so our connection sort of transcended our age difference. Well, Kat, if somebody is just now learning your story today for the very first time, clearly you have had an incredible career. I mean, that it doesn't even, Front. that's not the right word for it, but can you share with us a little mini history of how your career began? It really does go back to when I was very young. We left, I say we, my mom and my sisters and I left my dad when I was nine years old. He was an alcoholic um, and really great soul and human, but a terrible husband and father. I mean, I was in car accidents with him. He was not home. I mean, it was just bad. And, and my mom had a very, you know, entry level job and no one on either side of our family was well to do. Um, trailer parks, T-tops, flip-flops, Jacksonville, Florida, truckers, junkers, factory workers, like good, honest, blue collar workers. And, um, and it was, it was a wonderful life in many ways. Yet my mom recognized that she had financial limitations and everyone around her had financial limitations. And so there was nowhere for her to go. And so she dealt with it for quite some time. And my father was the only person on both sides of the family to have a fancy job. He was an executive. Uh, and so we had a house, not a trailer. We had a, which was wonderful, you know, for us. And we, and, and we had a, others of my family didn't even have a trailer, you know, they didn't even have a roof over their heads. And so to everyone else, it looked like we had it so great because we had the house, we had a playhouse outside. I had gifts every holiday season. We had a car and, and for those reasons, for those physical stability, financial security reasons, my mom stayed despite it being bad. Uh, and eventually it got bad enough that she decided it was time to leave. And she worked three jobs and fed us on a food budget of $10 a week. I mean, she figured it out. But when I was nine, we left. And so I became a leader at home and a father figure at a very young age since my mom was working so much. And I mean, it turned out to be truly beautiful, even though there's a lot of pain and sadness in the story. And all that resulted in me working at a very young age. So at 15, I worked in malls selling clothes. I was a gym 
maintenance person. So I cleaned sweaty gym equipment so I could have a gym membership since I was a cheerleader in high school and a track. I was on the track team and I needed to pay for things like shoes and uniforms and camp and training and all of that. And so um, these jobs helped me do that as a high schooler. And then when I was 17, I layered on a third job while in high school being a hostess at Hooters restaurants in Jacksonville, Florida, and got into college, first person in my family to get into college. And when I was 18, which was just a few months before I graduated high school, I became a waitress. In the state of Florida, you had to be 18 to serve alcohol. So I couldn't be a waitress until I turned 18. And so I became a waitress at Hooters, a Hooters girl, rocking the orange shorts and serving chicken wings and pouring beer. And I loved it. And I had such a great time. And I started college. Eventually, I dropped the other two jobs because being a waitress at Hooters was such a, a, a high paying, relatively speaking, hourly job. Uh, and I had tremendous flexibility. I was working 40 to 60 hours a week while I was in college, sometimes more. And when I turned 19, while still in college, while still a waitress, a few interesting things happened. I uh, had become a cook in the restaurant. I learned how to be a Hooters cook. I became a bartender and a shift leader. So I was basically working every job in the restaurant. It allowed me to have maximum opportunity for hours and shifts and income. I loved the different jobs. So I was happy to work any of them in any combination. And it just so happened that Hooters as a company was expanding the business around the world. And they were looking for strong employees who had experience not only working multiple jobs, but training new employees in their home store, which I did. And so I had the unbelievable opportunity at the age of 19 to travel to Australia and go open the first ever Hooters franchise in Australia. And I had never been on a plane. I had only been out of the state of Florida twice in my life for cheerleading competitions, and I did not have a passport. And there weren't these fancy websites and expediting services that are around now. Um, and this was 1998 and 97 or 98. And so 30 days later, I left for Australia and I came back. It was amazing, an amazing experience. I came back, I made up the classes I missed. I thought it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And 60 days later, I got a phone call and it was the corporate office and my district manager letting me know that there was another opening coming in Central America, the first ever in Central America and Mexico. And I was requested to be a part of that training team. And I was like, heck yeah. And so, you know, I said yes. And I went and fast forward, I kept getting asked to be on these teams as the company expanded around the globe. After four openings, I was no longer a member of the team. I was now leading the team. So going early, setting up the supply chain, managing the, the trainers, the teams that were similar to what I was just previously a part of. And so very quickly, I matriculated from you know, server to shift leader to international opening trainer to now leader of the openings. And this was all before I was 20. And the only downside was that I was traveling so much, I was failing college. I was just never there. I, I, people say, oh, you were so courageous to quit. I didn't quit. I failed. <laughs> I, I literally was traveling so much. I, I, but the odd thing is college is supposed to prepare you for what you were already doing. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. 
And, and so I quit. You're getting credit for what you were doing. You were opening companies, right? <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, so I did drop out. I mean, there was a tiny opportunity for me to go back and stop traveling completely and make up my classes, but that was an unbearable thought to me. I was, I, I was so happy with what I was doing and I wasn't perfect at international operations, but I was much better than many others with far less effort. It was clearly my jam. It was clearly my thing. And luckily, um, Hooters as a company called and they were expanding their corporate office team for the training department because of all this expansion and asked me to apply for a corporate job. So at the age of 20, I applied for a corporate job uh, in Atlanta and I got hired. And so I packed up a U-Haul, had to have a co-signature for the U-Haul because I wasn't even old enough to rent it and drove that clunky thing (laughs) from uh, Jacksonville to Atlanta. I will never forget coming up on that hill. You see Atlanta's iconic skyline and then literally 75 turns into eight or 10 lanes. And it was like, I'm in the big city, you know, it just felt <laughs> so great. Do you remember and, that so, so deaf boulevard, uh, billboard yes. that oh, was yes. there for the longest? I yes. can't remember moving to yes. Atlanta. And like, so, so deaf, so always so a Chick-fil-A cow, Delta, yes. and, you know, one other thing. And, and so that began the next chapter of my career, where now I'm living in Atlanta, Um, I am a corporate employee, no longer a waitress or a cook. I'm learning to live off of a paycheck, which was far less than I made as a waitress. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then, you know, again, as the company grew, I grew the fast forward version from there is by the time I was 26. So six years later, I became one of the executives in the company. The company was doing around 800 million in revenue. And here I am a 26 year old vice president with the company and, as the company grew, you know, as well, I continued to grow. We launched an airline, Hooters Air. It was a thing. Look it up. It's hilarious. I remember. I um, remember. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and expanded around the world. And I grew so much as a leader and as an executive there with amazing mentors and friends. And eventually I started to get recruited into private equity and to run other companies. And at the age of 31, I was recruited um, to become president of Cinnabon. And in between there, I went back to Georgia State to get my MBA. So I have a master's without a bachelor's from Georgia State's executive MBA program. And I started, was offered the job to be president of Cinnabon in May of 2010. They held the job for me until I could start in October because I promised Hooters I would not leave them while we were in the process of selling that company. Uh, And so I Left Hooters on a Friday in October, started at Cinnabon, which is owned by Focus Brands and Rourke Capital on the next Monday. And two months later, I graduated with my MBA from Georgia State and dug into turning Cinnabon around out of the recession, built a great team, a phenomenal story there, uh, eventually became group president of the parent company, Focus Brands, leading the CPG, the e-commerce, you know, the licensing division, bringing branded products to grocery stores and other channels, and then became president and COO of that company, uh, which had become much larger over the course of my career there and um, several billion in sales. And I was president and COO of Focus Brands for the last four years and just wrapped up that career in January. You had me at Cinnabon. No, no, I would, and and Focus Brands for those listening, if you're not, you know, clear on the parent company is 
Auntie Anne's, Carvel Cinnabon, Jamba Juice, right? McAllister's mm -hmm. Deli, Moe's, and Schlotzky's. That's right. All yeah. of those are you had me at, brands. At the cookies and the and the all the <laughs> <laughs> now we launched the frenzy to change the conversation around age for women. And so, Kat, with your wealth of experience, what would you say is the biggest challenge facing women over 40 in the business world? And how would you tackle that? Women in their 40s who are working, one, many of us these days have very young children. And that is different than a decade ago. So many are waiting later to have yes. kids. Melissa yep. and I are in that same boat with you. We both have young children. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we're going through a transitional period where, at least in the corporate environment, my male peers um, have grandchildren mm -hmm. that are in their teens. <laughs> and so it, it's a very different life stage to connect with others around, despite having very similar business responsibilities. And so they're, they have no kids at home. There are certain things they can easily do. And here I am up here in an executive. And I remember I had to leave a board meeting to go pump. And I was not secretive about what I was doing. And I joked, I was like, well, I could sit here and have the pump running in the meeting. That wouldn't bother me, but I'm sure it would distract you that. And so, and no one criticized that. I'm sure they thought it was kind of funny. Maybe it was a little bit of a distraction, but wow, am I at a different life stage? And and if there's an emergency with my family, they're not adults and they can't take care of themselves. Mama's got to go. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's a board meeting or a conference or a scheduled meeting. And so I do think that maybe that was a bit easier for me to navigate because I wasn't in an in-between stage of my career. I'm a president at, you know, of the company. And so there was something about that that both gave me more pressure, but probably also gave me more courage, right? Like I'm the leader. I can cancel the meeting <laughs> if right, I right. or I can tell someone else to run it. And so I recognize that that is not always the case. And it has made me very sensitive to people at various stages in their career and making sure they don't need courage to do the right thing for their family. It shouldn't take courage, right? It should just be what's known and expected and appreciated yeah. and understood. You got to go. You got to go. If you got to go for a smoke break, great. You got to go to go take your kids somewhere. Great. You got to go because you got to take care of a aging parent at home, which is also increasingly the case mm -hmm. for people in their 40s. Do what you need to do. And so I come at this in a few different ways. One, people in their 40s are at very different spots in their career. It's a very transitional decade or season for careers. Um, and I, I think I'm barely getting to my top earning years, the sort of peak. I mean, mid forties to mid fifties is the promised land in a, in a lot of ways of either flexibility and freedom uh, or choice and doing something small that I'm passionate about or something that's big. You know, it feels like the world of choices in one ways professionally is open. I'm, I'm young enough to have to relate to the modern generation, but I'm mature and I'm mature enough to lead complex teams and so I see a lot of the potential and the power and the possibilities of women who are over 40 in their 40s and 50s. 
And at the same time, the X factor is where are we in our life stage with children, with aging parents, with our own personal intimate relationships. I mean, that can really make the 40s magical or painful, you know, depending on where people are. And so I guess all that leads me to the answer to the question being reconciling all of our very strong points of view and priorities and where we spend our time. You know, are we are we at the end of our career? Are we so fortunate to, you know, sort of feel like we're at this point where it's early retirement or we have to, we've done so well in the at the beginning that now we can go play? Or is this a, a season of heavy responsibility, you know, financial responsibility? I think of single moms who are in their 40s, who are, you know, rocking their careers, their entrepreneurial ventures, um, 40s or 50s, right? That's, that's a lot of responsibility on a human, on a woman who already disproportionately receives expectations and responsibility in the world. So I, I think there's this maybe tension of getting into these decades where we own more of who we are and we care less about what others think. At the same time, we may be entering seasons where we bear more responsibility. And that's a tension, uh, I think, there. So I think that maybe is, is one of the biggest challenges that women, while I think there's so much magic and beauty that I've pointed out, I do think a challenge is navigating what seem to be increasing responsibilities at the same time, we're totally starting to feel ourselves and be in our own skin and be comfortable and confident and candid. And the intersections of those things can be very positive, but it can also be super challenging. Um, now, we are just about out of time. We're going to get to the Frenzy Five. Jen, did you have anything else? Am I missing anything before nope, I... Let's do the Frenzy Five. These are just rapid fire questions. They're light, fun, just first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Are you ready, Kat? Ready. All right. Where is your cozy, happy place? Having a cup of coffee with my husband anywhere. Oh, what's your favorite framed thing in your home? The picture of my husband and I walking through the desert at Burning Man on the day of our wedding. Nice. I just Ooh, love that you I got married at Burning that. Man. <laughs> what was your most memorable birthday? I think the one I just had was celebrating two birthdays since we missed one with COVID. And my daughter was very sick in the ICU during my birthday week oh, no. last year. And it was celebrating my husband's business success and my 10 year career. And so uh, we were able to go sailing on a boat by ourselves, COVID safe uh, with vaccinated captain and my husband's halfway there and COVID tests and, you know, all the things to just allow us to be alone and remote and relaxed, but also safe. Nice. Very nice. Beautiful. So what's a daily routine or ritual that you stick to? Morning time with the family, just coffee, breakfast with the toddlers. Then we, as a family, literally we get our coffee and the babies know the word coffee and they help me do the French press and it's a routine <laughs> for us. And then once they eat, everyone says, let's go to the front room. And we go to the front room. I mean, that is that is a staple in our lives. And it's just this pure family moment with no emails or distractions or anything else. I mean, all bets are off after that, but that, <laughs> that is um, a very special morning routine. And finally, in our Frenzy Five, what fashion trend did you jump on? Oh, athleisure. I have not been <laughs> out of leggings <laughs> for 12 
months. And I, I mean, I made a few exceptions. I put on jeans the other day to go have a meeting and my husband almost fell on the floor. <laughs> was like, are you going to an interview? <laughs> I, I, I am, there are many beautiful things about us coming out of the darkest days of this pandemic, but there are a few that make me a little sad. And one of them is that I, I may have to go back to slightly more constricting clothing, even occasionally. I'm, I'm going to try to find a way to rock athleisure in every moment that I can be uncomfortable. Every woman on the planet is with you. Like, Absolutely. let's just keep this rolling with yes. the, with the like, comfy pants. Yes. I may, I may or may not have a brawn. I mean, you know, you don't know. So that's the beauty of this. You don't know. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Kat, thank you so much for the generosity of your time today yes. and sharing your story with us. Um, we want our listeners to follow at Kat Cole ATL on Instagram, and you can learn more about Kat and get her checking in emails and find out what she's up to. It's catcole.substack.com so that you can learn more. Thank you so much. This is yeah, an so awesome conversation. And congratulations <laughs> to you. I mean, what a fantastic life so far. And, and congratulations on a fantastic life moving forward. Oh, thank you so much. And you guys too. Congratulations on this. This is awesome. Thank you. Let's grab a quick question that's going to tell a story out of the You Don't Know My Life box. Now, feel free to steal these to use with your tribe at work, with your partners or your friends, because we already have listeners told us that they steal these, what, for work? Yes, it, it, work it, meetings, leadership meetings. Leadership meetings. So thank you for that. All right, here's, here's the question for the day. What was your first concert and what do you remember about it? My first concert was Billy Joel and I went with my mom. Yes. And a friend of mine and her mom. And it was great. I remember it being so much fun. And I don't think we had really good seats because I can remember him seeming like a little tiny Lego person. You know, so we must've been pretty high up in an arena, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was, that's a good one. Great first concert experience. Um, I also early on went to Millie Vanilli, which is quite embarrassing because they never well, the sang. The music was good though, but they pulled off a concert where they were lip syncing. Lip sync the whole thing. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I bought the t-shirt and everything and wore it to school, like all proud. <laughs> I thought you didn't know what grade were you in with Millie Vanilli. Uh, yeah. How old were you for Billy Joel? That's a good question. Probably maybe fifth grade. Okay. Fifth grade-ish. Millie good. Vanilli would have been maybe sixth or seventh grade. Okay. I don't know. I can't remember nice. totally. Nice. Well, my first concert was when I was 14. So I guess it was in the eighth grade and it was Rod Stewart. Nice. So That's a good um, one too. Uh, some guys smoke. have all the luck. That's the song that was big when I, I went to concert. Have all the pain. It was in 1984. And I went because the I mentioned being the far youngest, my brother and sister are 10 and eight years older than me. The beauty of having siblings 10 and eight years older than you is that they're teenagers or at that point they were in their twenties. Um, but they were one of them at least was going to MTSU in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And there was a Murphy center. I don't know. I guess it's still the concert venue there on campus Uh, had a lot of acts that would come there instead of going into downtown Nashville. And so my brother and sister was able to secure those tickets. So um, I went to see Rod Stewart. And then that same season, my second concert was Elton John. 
Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Those are so good. You know, yeah. it's funny. This question inspired me to make sure that my daughter's first concerts have been really special so that they would have a good story. So the first concert that we took Lauren to was Zach Brown Band. Oh, nice. I'm like, I'm like, when she's an adult, she's going to be able to brag that her very first show was Zach Brown Band. We had the noise canceling headphones on her ears because we were all up front and um, got really good seats. And then she's also been to see Taylor Swift. Oh, nice. See, she's got some good stories. Yeah. So she's got some good stories. Reese, however, is only five and a half. So the only live music she's really seen was at her own charity concert, which you came to the Ring the Bell Benefit, which we do for um, childhood cancer research uh, and fundraising for that. And we had the American Idol Maddie Poppy come and perform. So that's really Reese's first live concert. And it was good. Yes, Yes, it was good. But when we buy a ticket to a show, I got to make sure it's a good one so that Reese has another really, really good story to add to the Maddie Poppy thing. Well, Mr. Carter, like, okay, I give full credit to Katie Jo because, you know, she's in the same mentality. And this, you know, but I have a feeling that Mr. Carter, the lead in to saying his first concert is, hey, how do you know a guy has two lesbian moms? Oh, and the no. answer will be because my first concert was the Indigo Girls. Yes. <laughs> so the you know Indigo- they're my favorite band of all time, right? They're a fantastic band, but obviously they're they're lesbians and they have a lot of lesbian followers. (laughs) And so they did a drive-in concert during the pandemic and Katie thought, oh, this is a great save, you know, because my son was not interested in going to a concert before this. (laughs) And so, and so Katie and her girlfriend took Mr. Carter to the Indigo Girls drive-in concert. And so, and, and because he, we, (laughs) we, um, we couldn't carry him, either one of us, for medical reasons. So we had a carrier or a surrogate, but there's a difference. But anyway, we had a surrogate yes. uh, carry him and deliver him. And she happens to be a lesbian. And so when he was born, Indigo Girls was playing. And yes. so, so so Katie's like, oh, well, we could t- it's going to be so symbolic. We'll take him. And, it, you know, he'll listen to the song that it was playing while he was born and all this stuff. And I'm thinking this 16-year-old boy, that again, how do you know a guy's got two lesbian moms? I was raised by two moms. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, no, I love Indigo Girls. Right. And so that's it. But that is technically his first concert. So we'll see if he claims it when he's older. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It is time for Melissa Carter to deliver your mirror mantra for this week. And we say mirror mantra because in the mirror is the time that you sometimes are self-critical, but instead we want you to focus on self-care. Very good. Yes. And we talked about ownership mentality. That's what we're talking about today. And I kind of want to go on what Jen was talking about earlier when it comes to ownership mentality, that you got to take responsibility for your own actions. I want you to listen to this mantra and I want you to see how it makes you feel. Okay. Okay. Because it might trigger you a little bit. (gasps) Okay. But it has to go with ownership mentality. And that is no one owes you anything. Nobody owes you anything. Your boss does not owe you that promotion. Your husband does not owe you that love and appreciation. My son does not owe me appreciation for the things I do for him. I think if people realized how much they are hinging the outcome of their lives on other people, then they would understand how behind they feel, how frustrated they feel, how stuck they feel. 
I, I guarantee that the majority of the things in your life that make you feel like you are not moving forward in something that is joyful is because you're sitting there chewing on something that you think somebody else owes you. Mm. And so you have to move forward in your life, regardless of what you've been through. Nobody owes you anything. And that is because you have to take ownership for all your choices. And that includes the choices of the people that are in your life, the choices of the things that you allowed people to do for you, the choices that you're making at your own job in which you, if you're not getting some promotion or some raise that you want, well, you have to look at your own actions leading up to it. And then if you are in a position or, you know, a job position in which you're not going to get that, then you have a choice on whether you stay or go, but nobody owes you anything. It doesn't matter how long you've been somewhere. And I think if people let go of that idea that I am in charge, I create my own life. Mm -hmm. I am the creator of my own life then you will feel a lot freer and a lot more happy because you can actually make choices of things that make you happy in your life and choose to see the good in your life. But yeah, nobody owes you a thing. I'm sorry, honey. You're going to have to get out of that. So good. So good. And as a faithful person, I really feel like if you believe in higher power, if you believe in God, you know, I'm a Christian, so I believe in God and I believe he's got the plan. Right. And so you can't hinge your life on other people. And even when you talk about faith now, I've raised, I was raised in a Christian mentality. I'm a spiritual person, but I also feel that we're here to make our own choices. I also mm -hmm. am a believer that there are people who hinge too much on, okay, I'm going to pray to God for this. And then it's just going to happen when mm. you don't understand that some of the things that happen in your life are there to give you what you want. It, it's not, it didn't, it didn't show up in the way you thought it might, mm -hmm. but it's showing up for your, for the purpose of bringing you joy. And you've got to take the steps in order to do it. I know that there's probably a lot of parables and a lot of stories uh, similar to that, where I think there was a joke I heard in church one time where there was a flood and a guy sitting on the roof and one boat came and another boat came and he said, no, God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of it. <laughs> Third boat comes, water's still rising. He said, I'm going to take care. God's going to take care of it. And then he dies, he drowns and he gets to heaven and he's like, God, why didn't you help me? And God said, I sent three boats. Three. Why didn't you get, why didn't you get in? in get in. Them? Yes. So I, yeah, I, I really think so. So based on that, I really think that you need to understand that regardless of where you're leaning, who you're leaning on, don't forget to lean on yourself because mm -hmm. that's kind of the point, right? That's the point is for you to take this life, take this body, take this mentality and do something wonderful with it instead of sitting around and waiting on somebody else to fix your problems. So good. Thank you, Melissa Carter. Please subscribe to the Frenzy Podcast and leave us a review. You can also sign up for our weekly email and we can send the episode right to your inbox. We promise not to bug you. We only send one each week with the new show and you can sign up very easily right there on the homepage at thefrenzy.com. And is there a friend of yours who would enjoy this episode? Please share this with her. Plus, our brand new YouTube channel is live with videos and extended interviews. If you like this show and share about it on your social media as well, just go ahead and tag us and we can share it too. Thank you to our listeners who have subscribed to our email list at thefrenzy.com. We want to say a shout out to Angie Bell. Ashley Fitzpatrick and Alicia McCabe. Thank you so much for signing up for the frenzy emails. We're excited to have you in the tribe and they didn't ask for that. We no. just like to show our appreciation. Soundtrack produced by Tammy Hurt for placement music written and recorded by placement music, creative team member, Mark Daniels.
The Frenzy's graphic design is by Helen Vickers and web design by Caden Jacobs, and it's produced by Bo Johnson. These are real stories by real women. Now it's time to go share yours with the world. Thank you for your gift of time. It's your time, and we certainly do appreciate you. Okay, until next week. Trust your gut. Share your story. And stop lying about change. change. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Okay.